that was the past. It was over. And it would be a voyage that I would never undertake again. And I made a particular point of stressing that. When until earlier this year, an email arrived, and uh, there was an offer, interesting and charming, but one which I knew I would have to turn down. Well, um, that's how it felt. And I spent 20 minutes explaining why. With sadness, I would have to say no. But something has happened. Jean-Luc Picard is back. Space, the final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast, Give Me That Star Trek. It's ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 29 of Give Me That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and today we're talking about the various Star Trek projects CBS All Access has on the table and pitching some of our own for fun. And when I say we, I mean myself and straight from the Comic Trades Monthly Podcast, it's David Jeffress. Hi, David. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. This is going out on New Year's Day, so uh, I guess I, we should get that out of the way and... Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy holidays, and hopefully it wasn't too stressful. That's right. For me, it, well, I'm guessing, right? This is this is our future. This, the, you know, <laughs> we're a week from it. We're actually recording on Christmas Day because, two, well, you know, Scrooges have to stick together. Yeah, clearly is what it is. Before we get into it, David, the listeners need you to give some context for your Trek fandom with our usual quiz. So are you ready? All right. What's your uh, Star Trek origin, first of all? You know, how did you become a Trekkie? My parents, both my mother and father, loved Star Trek. I was born in 91, so that'll definitely date me right there. Right as TNG is just kind of almost getting to that end. So I grew up watching reruns of TNG, and then I was introduced to Deep Space Nine and Voyager, but I, I will... Be true to TNG for the rest of my life, probably. All right. Well, that may be that answers our next question, which is, what's your favorite iteration of the show? I, I kind of have to reserve that right now until Discovery is done. Because okay. once Discovery is done, that, then I'll have to reconfigure. But right now, it, it would be Next Generation? Oh, 100%. What's your favorite character from that iteration, or any iteration, really? Uh, it's going to have to be Riker for me. Uh, he is the best uh, second hand of the captain in any series that I've watched. I just, I love how Riker interacts with the crew and he interacts with the captain. He's frank, he's bold, and he knows how to wear a beard. <laughs> he's funny. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I like Riker a lot too. And uh, I, I feel like we're somewhat in the minority yes. when it comes to Riker. You know, he's, uh, he needs the love. I'll say that. I don't know. Troy's got that down. 
<laughs> on and off. Ah. And what's your favorite alien species from the Star Trek universe? I can't remember the name of the species, but they are the ones who only speak in tale, or the name of a tale, uh, from the episode Darmok? Tamarians. Tamarians, thank you. Uh, but that episode is one of my favorites. It actually, it helped me get my wife to notice me for one of the first times we were dating. Because she said, ah, Shaka, when the walls fell. And I replied, Timba, with his arms wide. And <laughs> that was the moment she knew. It's like, okay, this, this man has to be in my life in some capacity. Wow, Juliet at her balcony. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, and a very good and personal reason for choosing that species. I think you're the first. Oh, thank you. Well, like I said, this is the first day of 2019, uh, as the podcast flies. So we're looking to the future in the Star Trek way, uh, which is to say, with hope. With hope. The second season of Discovery is set to start soon. The last short trek will be released in a few days. And CBS All Access is making plans for a lot of Trek content. Very varied Trek content. Before we give you our ideas for TV projects, we'll give you some context on what CBS is considering. That way you'll see that there really is no limit as to what's possible. Uh, but first, David, are you excited about Discovery's next season? That, that's in our immediate future. Ah, I really am. I am looking very much forward to what's going to change as far as with a new captain and everything and this new dynamic. I'm a little nervous about the Easter eggs, like young Spock. But at the same time, I'm, I'm genuinely excited for it to come out. Have you looked at many spoilers or are you coming to it very fresh? I am coming to it very fresh. I have a, I have a very strict rule uh, when it comes to any TV show or movie is I watch the first trailer and that's it. Um, I don't read articles. I don't read theories. I want to go in with like, okay, do I, does this look interesting to me or not? And if it does, then I'll just kind of try and keep a blind eye to it for any time that it might air. Yeah, I think that's a good idea with this show because the, the first season had a lot of twists and reveals especially towards the end there, or even in the middle of it. Oh. And uh, yeah, I have the same policy. And so we will not discuss Discovery further <laughs> because I probably know a little more than you do just because I run the show, but not that much. Yeah, I haven't seen the second trailer, for example. <sighs> Smart. I don't need it. But I do look forward to th like that first trailer. I had a lot of humor. Uh -huh. And uh, you know, a lot of people thought the first season was at times excessively dark yeah but they came out of to, into the light I, that's that was the the really the story of that first season was from a very dark a rather dark time in federation history to come out into the light and to have the characters restate mm -hmm. the star trek philosophy at the end oh definitely so we'll see if the i mean i guess now we've, we've we're over that hump and we're ready to to have more fun and uh we'll see we'll see we'll see yeah Let's let's get into these um, projects that are on the table. Some are almost in production, but uh, we know very little about them. So maybe we can, you know, maybe here we can spin some tales. The series people are most excited about is the Picard show. It's set to premiere later this year. It's going to be beautiful, I bet you. Anything. If it's got Patrick Stewart in it, I'm excited. It does. And that, that's, that's basically all we know. Uh, we know virtually <laughs> nothing. Not even the title of it. Yeah. Uh, but it stars Patrick Stewart, as he says, a very different Jean-Luc Picard. He's 20 years on. He's no longer a captain. Uh, and the tone is, from what I read, a more real world, whatever that means. Hmm, interesting. They didn't want to use the word grounded. Take them out of space if they use the word grounded. I can only imagine. I don't know. So, <laughs> well, what would you want to do with a Captain Picard 20 years later show? I would love it to be him kind of regaling 
stories. Uh, maybe with him working in some sort of legal office. Because that's something that he's always loved, is kind of this legal play back and forth, right? If he's going through these accounts, he could, almost kind of this CSI Law and Order kind of vibe, but he has to remember like some event from when he was younger. So we can get, we can learn more about the, the Picard history before he became captain. Or even in the 20 years, you know, oh, in, in, yeah. in between, since Nemesis. I hadn't thought of that because he is a very, very good lawyer on the show. Yes. And some of his strongest moments are definitely those ones, the measure of a man. And even when he talks to the Sheliak, who are these law masters. Indian War Tribunals, uh, that's another good one of him just... Oh, uh, the drumhead, yeah. Yes, drumhead. Beautiful stuff. So he's a very good orator. So that's a good idea. I don't know that I don't know that that's what it's going to be, but yeah, it does seem to be maybe there, it's going to be like Mr. Picard sort of, sort of thing. So some people think, well, is he now an admiral? I doubt it. Is he now out and about and having, you know, Indiana Jones in space kind of stuff, <laughs> which doesn't sound real world. No. Uh, so it's probably not that. Uh, if he's a very different Jean-Luc Picard, does that mean that there's a trauma, that something happened in the 20 years mm. that we miss in the gap? And this is going to be like the last days of a great Starfleet hero, but he's got the Eremotic Syndrome or, you know, he's... He's working through some stuff. I like that. I like that idea of him working through some stuff. You know, the I think in the books he marries Crusher at one point and they have a, another child. Maybe mm. he lost that child, or maybe he lost some child that he had at one point. I'd, I'd love to play with that. Or Bev herself. Oh yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Heartless. What I'm looking really forward to is, even though maybe we're in a very small corner of the Star Trek universe, mm -hmm. is actually seeing. They've all been throwbacks lately. The movies have gone back and recreated the past and discovery is also in the past of the franchise mm -hmm. before that it was enterprise which was in the you know a prequel to the, the franchise so i'm looking forward to seeing 20 years on you know the continuity that we that we watched so much of yeah the tng ds9 voyager continuity that was like a big chunk of star trek where are they now what's happening now what's so that's what that series can ultimately give us or at least maybe a window enough of a window for some more short treks, which would maybe look at other characters and where they now... I don't know. I See, and that's one of my concerns, is if it turns into this series of just flashbacks and we just have cameo after cameo, it turns into Fuller House in space, essentially. Oh, there goes uh, Jason Fra uh, Jonathan Frakes. What's he up to these days? Oh, there's my good friend uh, LeVar Burton. And what, what are they... You know, all these things of just these reoccurring, inconsistent characters, even. I'd be scared of it to turn into something like that. I think he may be really cut off from his crew. This could be the... I mean, Discovery kind of does that with where the focus is on a main character with the crew being more like support most of the time. But not entirely. So I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing what Star Trek does with like a single lead and mm -hmm. it's patrick stewart he's a acting powerhouse <laughs> yes. i mean it's it's gonna be very acting you know driven hopefully i look forward to that what else is there there's uh that well rick and morty's mike mcmahon uh, is developing star trek lower decks an animated series about the grunts who have jobs like stocking the replicators with food cubes uh <laughs> two seasons have been ordered so, oh, uh, and it's not clear when the spoof is set to, to, to air or even when it takes place. Yeah. I get a TOS vibe from the pitch because this is, that's the most, probably the most low tech of the treks. That's where this 
would make sense. You know, the, the real red shirts and the technicians that, that we glimpse. So this is the Star Trek comedy. This is uh, more comedy than the Orville, I, I would I would guess. Ooh, that's a tall order. You know, the Orville it still has that adventure. I, I watch the Orville and I, I'm always thinking of Next Generation. It feels like yeah. Next Generation plots, Next Generation pacing, Next Generation messages. And I find it charming because it has that. And then it's got the dumb jokes on top of it. But it, there's still that adventure through line. Now, this cartoon here... I don't think there's going to be much in the way of adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's trapped in lower decks and they never see the captain. I, I don't know. I, are you looking forward to this? Uh, a little bit. It's it's stayed off my radar pretty well. I read about it and I think it could be good, but I'm not the biggest Rick and Morty fan. So depending on what styles are adapted and taken over from from that source material, almost kind of makes me hesitant. I'm I want it to be good in true Rick and Morty fashion. Show me what you got. And then I'll make a decision. I've never seen a single episode of that. I'm completely blind to Rick and Morty. I, I, I think there's room. I mean, I like that CBS is willing to do parody. You know, you've got dar- a dark show. You've got a light show. You've got an animated series. It's, it's going to be... I mean, there, there's so much variety here that if they're going to do a lot of Star Trek stuff and have it not be tonally consistent, mm. it can be anything, then this is going to be the, uh, you know, that episode of Futurama where uh, the heads are reunited and hold a convention. You know, that, yes. that kind of stuff. I I don't know. I know enough about Star Trek that I'm going to get the deep cuts that will be in there. Yeah. I think this is like the kind of series that specifically built for super fans. I don't know how it'll play to other people or if super fans will accept it, you know, if it's um, this dumb show that's for everyone and it's mocking Star Trek in the way that the muggles mock Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, I get you. And it would almost be pandering at that point. It's very much like this is a kid show or this is just a mature show so we can drop a few F-bombs in here and and uh, oh, look at that. That's an inappropriate joke. So like what's going to be the point if you can't reference like these guys are in the uh, in the belly of the ship during this great battle and, like, we don't get to see the humor side of it, or them going, oh, of course, there's not enough power today, but, well, in five minutes, there'll be enough power, or it's my butt on the line. I don't want it to be the Big Bang Theory, basically. This is what I'm saying. Ugh, yeah. Where where the, the jokes are basically on the fans rather than really about the material. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what else is there? Uh, apparently, on the back burner right now is the um, Nicholas Meyer-written miniseries event called SETI Alpha 5, uh, described as a sort of survivalist political struggle in the style of Game of Thrones, focusing on Khan and his followers between Space Seed and the Wrath of Khan. It was one of the early projects announced, but according to Meyer himself, there's actually no telling when they'll go ahead with it currently. So they're more excited about the, these other projects that we mentioned. And yeah. maybe that's not going to happen. And a miniseries? What do you think about that? I think if it's like a six-episode series and that's it, like this just six-episode arc, it could be really good. I've never sat down and wondered more about Khan. I just just not been a priority to me. So when they said that this was, like you said, on the back burner, I just feel like it's like, okay, that can be on the back burner. Uh, I'll let you show me what you have. I'll, I'll pay for it. But at the same time, I just... It just doesn't jump to me. The the comic books did it. IDW did p- publish a uh, a series that showed exactly what happened on SETI Alpha 5. Uh, obviously, Nicholas Meyer would have written something completely... Well, not completely different, because we already know. You're right. We already know what happened. Yeah. Khan tells us what happened. So what, what's it going to be? We're just waiting around for his wife to die. We're just waiting around for those, for those uh, you know, critters to enter somebody's ear. Big deal. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, it could be good if it's like, uh, I've been watching The 100 recently, okay. and I can imagine if they did something along those lines of them trying to build the civilization in the five years, it could be dramatic like that. But again, it just it doesn't feel like it could be as such a high note as what they're wanting. I think they're just going for the recognition of the name. Oh, yeah. You know, they put it on the back burner, they put it on the shelf. Maybe it's just not exciting enough. And I haven't seen the scripts, obviously, so we don't know. CBS is also in talks with Michelle Yeoh about bringing her Mirror Universe, Philippa Georgiou, into a Discovery spinoff, focusing on the early days of Section 31. This would be, I guess, a spy thriller set in the Star Trek universe. What do you think of this one? Does it have legs? I think so. I think if you get that spy universe, that noir aspect of this bad guy, Giorgio, and she comes in and she pretends to be Giorgio so she can get dirt on all these people, and it turns into an internals affair kind of situation of people plotting against the Federation, I, I think this could be really good. And I love this character of Giorgio, both uh, before and after the alternative universe. I just love what they've done with the character on both sides. And I, I want to see more. It's Michelle Yeoh, twist my rubber arm. <laughs> this is, you know, I, I, I've been a fan of hers since the, the Kung Fu days. Uh, I don't know if this will work out. You know, I don't know if uh, the, the success of Crazy Rich Asians will put sort of the kibosh on this in a mm. way because suddenly she's a viable movie star in America sort of thing more than before. Yeah. Uh, totally. And if, if she gets a lot of offers on that side of it, TV's maybe not so great. I don't know. But this kind of steals a thunder uh, from one of my possible pitches for later. Because obviously, uh, not necessarily Section 31, but a spy thriller type, uh, whether that's Starfleet Intelligence, whether it's let's use the Obsidian Order, let's use the Tal Shiar, let's use all of that. Mm -hmm. And that would be an interesting way to, like a Mission Impossible, but maybe more grounded like a... Uh, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy kind of stuff. Whatever, in the Star Trek universe, maybe in one of the eras with a Cold War between the, the powers uh, mm. as a neutral zone is being built on one side or the other. I mean, there's potential there for sure. Yeah, I'm not going to pitch it because look, <laughs> here it is. I like the idea of some internal affair kind of espionage almost because I feel like there's so much more that we could explore in the Federation. So I think that's something that should be played with for sure. Not necessarily just like, we can't do it because that's what the Admiral said and we're going to do it anyways. But it, it turns into something along the lines of like, oh my gosh, there's this plot to overthrow this uh, this high commissioner that we have here. And we just need to make sure that whatever happens doesn't happen. Or something to that effect. And then, of course, you can still have time travel of like, oh my gosh, we have to save this one man's life. And then we have to figure out how did that happens or something. But it, it's a possibility that I think should be played with. And they've really got the most ruthless of the characters to star in it if they get uh, Michelle Yeoh. So, yeah. gray zones. And I mean, that could be very compelling television. I'd watch it. And finally, CBS has confirmed that they, they, they will do more short treks during the dry spells in programming. Uh, so I'll say it for the record. I hope each short run of this includes a further adventure of Kraft, the Odysseus stand-in uh, from the minisode entitled Calypso, uh, with Michael Shaben riffing off different chapters of the Odyssey in each one. So I'm on record. All right. I want to see more of that. I love Aldous Hodges uh, as an actor as well. So, And this is like super future from the timeline that we know. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's all new and interesting and just like little the little little bits, and I love the literary element to it. So I hope to see more of that. Uh, are there short treks that you'd like to see attempted? Nothing that jumps to my mind as far as like short treks, 
Yeah, no, I can't think of anything that's... I remember watching and going, ooh, I need that. I need more of that. Yeah, they've been, you know, like Secret Origins or little adventures with different crew members. I was sort of disappointed that it was all... Except for that one that I talked about, although it does have... Mysteriously uses the Discovery in it. Still not sure how that can happen or if that'll manifest itself in the next season or what. But it's all Discovery stuff. It's all Discovery characters. So, well, yeah, I get it. You've got the standing sets. We're not going to do a 15-minute episode and have to build all new sets. I I, I get it. But um, at the same time, I feel like Short Treks could have been more of an anthology where we could create new characters or go to other franchises. But that may be, you know, what uh, we want to do with our own pitches. So let's get into that. Okay. Because that was all stuff that had some chance of making it to the screen. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to pitch ideas that have very little chance of making it to CBS's ears. But uh, as you can see, there's little that they wouldn't consider. We we can go crazy because I think they kind of have. Old stars returning. They've got the recast entire eras. They have the varied tones. They've got parody. They've got miniseries as well as series. So we have put no limits on our imaginations. David, why don't you start us off with your first pitch? Uh, So I would love to take Cosmo that we have right now with Neil deGrasse Tyson, but put in Dr. Noonien soon. So we have this kind of Cimmerillion, if you will, of the Star Trek universe narrated by Dr. Noonien soon as we fly around the known galaxy and learn more about different cultures, different politics, different events in time. I think if you had uh, Brent Spiner reprise his role as Dr. Noonien soon and come in and just be kind of that sassiness that he has while teaching us more history, give me a 10-part series, 8-part series, and I would... I could feel like I could tru- my, truly call myself a Star Trek fan at that point. Well, that would make an interesting bridge or access for people who are, you know, don't have the, haven't seen all the seasons of the past Treks. Yeah. And uh, as a way to digest it, more or less. But, and it's true, right? That, that, that New Cosmos had like a weird spaceship idea in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, he flew around the universe uh, and then explored uh, you know, a bit of the same territory that Carl Sagan did in the other, the original series. Uh-huh. But he's sitting on a spaceship. So <laughs> that's, that's an interesting idea to have like an educational show. Maybe it's about Star Trek, but maybe there is also real science talk in it. Oh, I'd like that. You know, how would transporters really work? There's a way to connect it to real science at the same time. Yeah, I know. And I think everyone would watch that at that point. But, you know, what aren't they watching on CBS All Access at this point? As told from the perspective of someone in that universe. I get it. You dream big. I like I it. I do dream big. I like it. They got the budget for it. I'm sure they could do it. My own first pitch is, oh, well, I now I feel uh, I feel it's underwhelming, but <laughs> after, after <laughs> hearing that one, but uh, no, but really, I get it. They're doing a uh, uh, Captain Picard 20 years on, but to me, my favorite show of the whole canon was Deep Space Nine. And they did do a sequel in the books. Whether you go in the same direction or not, or or we do skip our, ahead 20 years, I still want to see that station. I still want to see what's happening there. So I'd love a Deep Space Nine Phase 2 kind of thing. We could have uh, returning characters. You know, maybe Cisco's just a voice in the in the wormhole or something, but I'd love to see that place by the wormhole have another wave of importance that suddenly something happens and we've got, uh, because the Picard show, I don't know if, if it'll be very, very personal to the character, mm. 
but Deep Space Nine was always had this huge scope, you know, political scope and war and, and religion, and it, you know, it had like a wider canvas. At the end of every week, you weren't leaving somewhere behind, never to be talked of again. You had to stay there. Yeah, let's just see what happens twenty years later. Who are the villains? Who are the heroes? How has the the wormhole been exploited? And the Gamma Quadrant, you know, are there now colonies on the other side of the wormhole? And anyway, I, I want to see the next chapter of that. See, and I always walk away with DS9 being about hope, family, and your home. Because it's, you know, it's the family that you make, it's the home that you live in, right. uh, that, you, and you, that you build. I would like to see more about the growth of those families, who stayed, who left. I'm thinking more internally with that one, but I like, I like it. What's beyond the wormhole is something that I've always been curious about. I'd watch that. The, the series couldn't really do that. They explored it a bit. And it was just like traditional Trek, th yeah. those episodes. But then, you know, the founders kind of blocked. There was no, <laughs> you couldn't go over there. But once, you know, just the idea that Odo is, is now leading his people, or at least, and his consciousness is part of the, the mix, and that they are now a force for good, maybe, and Odo would have opened the gates, let's say, for exploration and trade and whatnot. This is a very different universe after. You could have the Bajorans becoming a more evil power, or uh, while well, the Cardassians are rebuilding everything, or are they are they going to essentially be the Germans after World War One closed off on themselves, and then in their rebuilding, they go Nazi again sort of thing, which I'm sure would tap into the real-world politics? I don't know, but I think there's there's a lot that can be done with this setting, whether you bring in old characters. I mean, at this point, wouldn't we like to see Will Wheaton reprise <laughs> the, the role of Wesley and sort of save it, sort of redeem it as someone who could live on D-Space 9 or it could stuff like that. I think a lot of the actors are maybe getting a bit old that they wouldn't want to, to be doing it. Yeah. Uh, then again, what does Jake do after his dad goes into the wormhole and becomes a prophet? Or using the kids 20 years later, they could be sort of main characters as well. Uh, you know, O'Brien's kids principally or, you know, there's stuff there. Yeah, I like it. What else you got? All right. So if they're kind of pitching everything, they've got this cartoon coming up where it's supposed to be this silly, funny thing. I'm going to pitch something that I think CBS is going to just going to buy as soon as you post this episode. Okay. Little House on the Prairie, but it's Little House on the Kitmer Colony with young Worf as his human parents try to teach him about honor and what it means to be a Klingon while trying to, like, fit in with this other Federation colony stuff. I know. Hold your, hold your wallet, it's okay, but I think this one is a real winner. We get to see young Worf be angry and learning of what it means to, to fight with a Batla. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, a family drama. Yes! Family drama, the fish out of water, the, the kid getting, you know, the, the kid who normally might be the bully being bullied at school. I, I see it. Yeah, it makes sense to me. <laughs> I mean, young Worf is primed for this kind of stuff because even in there were books right weren't there like uh starfleet academy books or something with young Worf? yeah yeah a little bit but it's it's mostly just his his starfleet time and that's him trying to break a lot of the um built-in rigidness of the klingon people mm. um so it's it's good but it's it's not that same development of what builds him to have that Klingon pride. So definitely uh, a, a keeper, CBS, and it <laughs> and it's sort of a good time for me to mention my own pitch, which is also a young adult kind of pitch. And this isn't something I would necessarily want to watch, but I think it's something that would work in today's TV environment. And I 
I think I I saw at some point they were considering it, or maybe it was just like somebody threw it out there. Does the words, and that's a Starfleet Academy series. Oh, a teen soap opera set in and around the academy, training cruises. It's Riverdale, but with sci-fi instead of whatever horror stuff they're doing. Uh, and I don't watch Riverdale. I'm not saying I'm not saying I, I never would, but that's not a show I'm, I'm watching. But I, I think the CW kind of formula, pretty actors doing action bits and soap opera, that is yeah. a, a winning formula. It, it works for the science, the, the superhero shows. I can easily see a Starfleet Academy series working on that level. I, I would watch the crap out of that. Are you kidding me? I, I don't watch Riverdale, but that's just... The fact that it's Starfleet, I, I, I'm hungry for that lore. There would be a moment, you know, the, the Kobayashi Maru stuff and the... Uh, we've seen a little bit of Academy stuff. You know, there's a Wesley episode and there's, you know, Kirk in the, the new Star Trek franchise. But I know you get all new kids. It wouldn't be like people we know when they were at the Academy. I, I think that that was one of the things that people complained about with the new franchise was that, oh, they're all at the Academy at the same time, even though they're not the same age. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. But let's say, you know, you create a whole new cast and maybe you've got a teacher in there or that, that we know, you know, a mentor that we know, uh, whether that's an O'Brien or a uh, Dr. Crusher or, you know, somebody that can act as sort of the special guest star of the show. But for the most part, it's these new kids. I'm saying training cruises because that's part of the Academy life. But maybe that's like season two. Oh, they finally get an Academy cruise a mission. That kind of stuff. So you can see them grow up. Yeah, I like it. I'd watch that. Okay, well, then uh, let's uh, throw that in the envelope. What's your third pitch? <laughs> I always have been curious of like, what do they do with uh, this awesome technology that they might gain from another another alien species that they haven't contacted before or from an alternate universe or somewhere further down the line? So is there a Warehouse 13? Mm. And what do they do to test those things? Because we know that the, the Federation wants to adapt and put that into their system. So I'm recommending a Warehouse 13-style show with a little bit of comedy as these people are testing equipment, trying to rig it up, have some of that smart talk in there of like, oh, well, we've got to get the dilithium crystals in order and aligned, or else this baby will overheat. And then they have to like constantly put out time bubbles or something that they that this one guy, Eric, the intern, accidentally set off. But they kind of like have to continually progress and learn about this new equipment that somebody has accidentally discovered or invented. So a bit of Warehouse 13, a bit of Eureka. Yes! That kind yes. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it could be like uh, Utopia Planitia as a setting or something, you know, just... What was the one? The Daystrom Institute or something. I mean, that, that oh, yeah. could be the, 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 the setting for it. No, I... Yeah, I love this idea. And then it can have that comedy, which is something that they're trying. So give me more lore, give me more comedy. I'm happy with that. Very good. So my third pitch, and you know, this one I, I was anxious about. I, I You know, I tried, uh, I tried to, to put different things on paper. I, you know, I tried, oh, well, everybody's always talking about, uh, you know, just a Klingon crew instead of seeing a Starfleet crew, that kind of stuff. And, well, that's mm -hmm. old hat. Can I do an, a different kind of animated series, more, you know, intense anime and it's like... All I saw in my head was like a Gorn spaceship. So in the end, in the end, I decided to pay a bit of a tribute to Voyager. Uh -huh. Not like me, but you'll see why it is like me. I would want to see Voyager done well. So uh, <laughs> what I, I'd imagine a more, I mean, a similar Gilligan's Island kind of 
setup, but mm -hmm. uh, a much more desperate show. You're on a warp-capable shuttle. It's a very small crew, and they're the only guys. You know, they're the only people that are going to be in the show. There isn't like a whole ship with a big support crew, and the ship's always pristine the next week. They probably have to get rid of that shuttle in due course because it's too damaged. Mm -hmm. I want it to be like a very much a serialized what do we do now lost like the new lost in space maybe um is what comes to mind right now that kind of lost in and is it just a, a shuttle and they're lost somehow they're lost behind the romulan empire sort of thing oh that's good so it is part of the galaxy that we know or do we ship them to another galaxy where there is no coming back absolutely no coming back And what do they then do? And do they lose their Starfleet philosophy over time because it doesn't apply anymore? The kind of questions that Voyager did ask, but then didn't really follow through. I didn't have the backbone for it. Yeah, it was never as desperate enough. It just seemed like, oh, well, it's like business as usual. And there's only like the year of hell where that felt like, okay, this is what the show should be. Because in reality, you shouldn't be able to man manufacture parts of your hull that are that <laughs> yeah. go missing. This shouldn't be this easy. And uh, so I'd want to see like a show that is just to see how Voyager would actually have worked if it had been done with this kind of open-mindedness that CBS seems to have in choosing his projects. And going with that dark theme, I would want it to see an ending where it's not a happy one, mm -hmm. right? Where, like, they don't make it off the island, in, you know, or kind of a situation. So I would love to see that where, like, the last episode is then like, all right, well, we've got an hour left of air. What do we want to do in that time? And that's where the, the show ends. It's a real downer, but it's a real threat of space travel is you may never come back. So I sort of cheated and, um, you know, mentioned a few other ideas that I toyed with. Did you leave anything else uh, off the table that you'd like to just mention? Uh, when I was talking with my wife about this, I was, I was kind of pitching ideas to her because she's my best editor. I, I hate her so much when she edits, but she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> um, and she suggested a Bob Ross style with LeVar Burton as Jordy teaching other blind people how to paint. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I'd love to see in a sort of April 1st kind of short treks. <laughs> you're just like, it's like you're flipping channels. That would be it. You'd see the, the channels flipping and you'd hit on these crazy shows that didn't make it. Yeah. Canceled comics cavalcade. Yes. Kind of stuff. And, uh, and it would be really funny if the actual stars would be game enough you know and it'd be like Jordy sort of kind of tapping into reading rainbow kind of in the style but <laughs> but then the show is about something else that's stupid yeah i'd love to see that kind of you know like a cooking show and you'd, you'd see all that stuff speaking of cooking show if uh, cbs all access really wants to do a star trek cooking show amity and i are available uh, so people who have listened to our cooking show episode know that we can we can do it so uh <laughs> I'm just not very telegenic, is is all. That's why uh, I keep to podcasting. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe CBS will, will be looking at some of the book series and comic series that have that have been around for a while and try to adapt that kind of stuff. Riker on the Titan or the Starfleet Court of Engineers or, you know, all of these different series and spinoffs that have uh, that Pocketbooks has, has published. I don't know if you have any favorites out of those, but that's also something that they might tap into. And they've done the smart thing that the, the other Star franchise, what they did is they threw all that away. They can't call back on any of that. Now, like, Star Wars uh, Rebels has kind of pulled some of that inspiration out of it, but Star Trek, they haven't said what's so definitively, and there's still a lot of books up for debate, 
the one that I would love to see, it was... The, I remember finding this when I was like a teenager. It's such a terrible book. It's the Star Trek X-Men crossover. Sure. Where, <laughs> where there's a whole planet full of mutants. If we're going to have Little House on the Prairie Wharf, might as well have mutants. And, you know, Patrick Stewart can play both roles. Why not? <laughs> it's all out there. It's all possible. Let's see New Frontier brought to life. You know, let's... Let's do uh, all of this stuff. This was a great little conversation. I hope people have their own ideas and uh, that they'll leave them in the comments, of course, at fireandwaterpodcast.com. How do people find you, David, on these here internets? So you can find me primarily on my podcast, uh, Comic Trades Monthly, where we talk about a comic book in a book club format once every month. It's a long podcast. So get ready for like three hours an episode. Uh, but if you want to reach to me directly, you can find me on my Twitter at Comic Trades Pod. There you go. Well, David, I'll let you go back to your own time via the Guardian of Forever. Oh, good. Thank you. And while I stay for subspace transmissions, that's Star Trek news and your feedback on our previous episode. Thanks again for spending this time with me. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Happy New Year. Do you want to feel more like a part of your favorite comic book podcast? Well, then join me, David, and my co-host, Dane, over on Comic Trades Monthly, where every month we talk about a volume of your favorite comic series. Just like a book club format, we go through the ins and outs of character, plot, and story arc in general as to what it means today. So, come over to Comic Trades Monthly and tell us what you think of the next volume that we're going to be reading. I can't wait to see you there. Incoming subspace transmissions. In Star Trek news not already covered on this show, Discovery Season 2 has a premiere date finally, and that's January 17th. It's been extended to 14 episodes from its original 13. Also, don't miss the fourth episode of Short Treks, which features Rain Wilson's Harry Mudd, available on CBS All Access or wherever you get your Trek content, this Thursday, January 3rd. And now your comments on episode 28, Star Trek role-playing games with our guest Ryan Blake. Let's start with Chris Franklin saying what most people thought, I'm guessing. He says, much like Hero Points, I didn't know half of what you were talking about, but still was able to follow and enjoy the show nonetheless. I did know a lot of the filler Trek history came from these games, and DC's Who's Who seemed to be full of it. A more bloodthirsty, militaristic Trek makes sense during the Harve Bennett years, and it also makes sense the game got cancelled as the touchy-feely humanist era of TNG began. First-time commenter Steve Race says, excellent show as always. I've played all the Star Trek RPGs, and for me, it's Star Trek Adventures all the way. That's the most recent one. Brian Linton says, I had a childhood friend who owned the FASA game, and I would flip through the game books from time to time. I have to say that I love games that incorporate some sort of life path system. The one with which I am most familiar is another FASA game, Mech Warrior 3rd Edition. I can spend hours experimenting with different life path choices when trying to develop a character concept. Since I don't really play any of the RPGs I own, having a fun character creation mechanic is a big plus for me. I think that's also something that works with superhero gaming. Gene Hendricks says, fun fact, the Decipher game was what we used to create our characters for Tales of the Seventh Fleet. Being role players by nature, we needed to know what each character was good or bad at and what weaknesses they might have. That's how my character, Lupia, ended up being from Sherman's Planet. He knew how to use Klingon weapons, but hated Klingons. So that backstory just fit. 
Kevin Rolfe admits uh, to perhaps having run one of those Star Trek Adventures games that Ryan was disappointed with, uh, and he apologizes for it. Mark Baker Wright says, I've owned the FASA game, first and second editions, for many years, but I haven't even thought about them for years now. This episode prompted me to pull those out of storage and specifically to have a look at the TNG First Year Source Book. On pretty much the first page of text, it offers this disclaimer. FASA's initial role-playing games and supplements provided information about fictional universe that was not being further developed on television and so could be described completely without fear of contradicting future changes. The next generation is not that way at all. Now, it goes on to comment how future developments may contradict what the sourcebook suggests. Indeed, the page immediately preceding above the indicia specifically says some materials in this book may be invalidated by later episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Now, oddly, however, it doesn't quite seem to recognize that those future developments may not only contradict the TNG source book, but indeed much of what FASA had previously done with their TOS materials. This source book had a copyright date of 1989, and I'm reminded that more time has passed since then than the entire franchise's lifespan to that point. It's small wonder that fans of today might have a different understanding of Trek's history than folks did back then. Next up, Boston Moss says, I've played and run games in both FASA and uh, Last Unicorn and gotten a kick out of each. If given the choice to use again, I'd go with FASA system, even though my games were more role-playing and exploratory than militaristic. Their modules were just great springboards to launch other ideas. He then gets into game mechanics. So if you're interested, make sure to check out the entire discussion at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Then he has this neat bit of advice. He says, want to encourage roleplay? Run a session with personnel evaluations. Who actually deserves to move up from Ensign to Lieutenant JG? Sure, Lieutenant Crackshot is a great marksman, but does she follow orders? Is she upholding the prime directive? Does she get along with other crew members? Do her decisions make sense? I found that a great way to get players back into Trek when their character concept may start to wander out of the genre. Ice-D says, The FASA game will always have a place in my heart. I thought it's strange that John Ford's Klingons were wholly included, but Diane Duane's Romulans were not. Maybe she would have had to agree, I don't know. Regardless, the game provided a ton of backstory to the universe in addition to the novels and comics of the day. The Federation and Star Trek IV source books remain, to me anyway, as remarkable references that I still consult to this day. In 2006, the Star Trek Legacy video game included several FASA, Romulan, and Klingon ships. Looks like the developers were fans too. An interesting note with Last Unicorn is that the Endorian source book among the clans provided some of the basis for the Endorians as portrayed in Enterprise. Series producer Manny Cotto adopted the book's concepts of an icy Endoria and rules for ritual combat. Now, I once knew this, D, because I was stoked when I saw the uh, Endorians realized on Enterprise and that they fit the details of the source book. Forgot about that. Uh, and then our Klingon ambassador, Abel Mavada, says, even though I haven't played an RPG since the mid-80s, I really enjoyed this episode. It's nice to hear I'm not the only one who had a bunch of FASA Star Trek material without ever having played the game. Those books were, and still are, fun to immerse yourself in, and I loved all the imagination and world-building that went into them. Well, that's a good comment to end on. So as usual, let me remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com, on the Fire and Water Facebook page, or on Twitter. Find us at FW Podcasts. Until the next episode, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly. <laughs>